Okay, we're going to be going through the next two weeks. We've gone through already one week, and then we had Brother Barry back last week to do Revelation. Kind of doing a Theology 101 class, what do we believe and why is it important? And we looked at the Bible and Scripture two weeks ago on Wednesday night. We also looked at the things to come and why that's important and what we believe about it. And tonight we're going to look at God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. Going through this, it's going to be a lot of information, a lot of Scripture. But I'm not going to, we're not going to look at all the Scripture. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to say it to you, and you can write it down, and I'll tell you just the high point of it. If we were to do that, I have, a, I have this image about me that you all know that I speak for 28 minutes and 30 seconds usually. That's what we're on TV for. If we go through all these scriptures, we're going to be here for about four hours. So I don't want to do that to you. I don't like listening to myself for 35 minutes, much less 28. But So we're just going to, I'm going to give them to you, and you can look at them later, but we're just going to talk about the main parts. You have your sheet here that you can uh, fill out. So the first one we're going to look at is, is God. We believe that there is one and only one living and true God, an infinite, intelligent spirit, the marker and supreme ruler of heaven and earth, inexpressibly glorious in holiness and worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love. That in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, equal in every divine perfection and executing distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. So we start out, who is God? Now, this is not what you're going to write down, but I just want to share a couple of things with you. The terms that describe the nature of God are known as his attributes. So if you hear the word attributes, those would be the things that describe God. A.W. Tozer stated that we believe what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. Because what we believe about God determines how we see this world. It determines how we determine and live life. It determines everything about us. And I think about some of those that say there is no God. They have no hope. If you don't believe in God, you have no hope. And so that is true what Atozer said. What is God like are revealed by his self-disclosure in his word, the scripture, the Bible. God tells us who he is in his word. So now we go, what is God like? Number one. God is transcendent. God is transcendent. This means he excels above all and is separate from all his creation. So he's separate. He's above and beyond it. He is exalted and eternal, the world's creator, sovereign, and judge. And the verse that would go with this, again, we're not going to look at it, but is Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, 15. And it pretty much says the high and lofty one who lives forever, whose name is holy, were set apart. So God is transcendent. T-R-A-N-S-C-E-N-D-E-N-T. God is imminent, which means he's near, as well as transcendent. So he's near, and we mean that his presence and power pervade his entire person. He does not just stand apart from us. He interacts with us. He's around us. He's not separate from his world like a spectator, just looking down on what he created. He is a part of it. He's imminent. This would be found in Isaiah 57, 15. 
Isaiah 57, 15 says, With him who is, it, who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So he is there. He is with us. He is close to us. Next, God is omnipotent or all-powerful. God is omnipotent or all-powerful. This would be Romans 1, 19 and 20. This tells us the universe that God has made speaks of his eternal power and deity. Also, that's a scripture to go with this would be Jeremiah 32, 17. Jeremiah 32, 17. The mountains, heaven, and oceans all remind us that God made them and is sovereign over them. So he is all-powerful, omnipotent. Next, God is omnipresent. He is omnipresent. He is in all places all the time. He is fully present everywhere. He is omnipresent. This would be Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Psalm 139, 7 through 12. And what's amazing is all of him is in each one of us as well. So he's everywhere. Next, God is um, omniscient. He knows everything. God is omniscient. And that's in Psalm 139, 2. He knows our actions and our thoughts. Also, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Isaiah he quotes God directly. He knows the end from the beginning. God is all-knowing, omniscient. And here's the thing you read in the, you read, and we're going to see this in a minute in Jesus, that he knew when he was on this earth what people were thinking even before they spoke it. He knew their heart. God knows us. He knows our heart. And that's why so many times we as Christians, we think that we're tricking God because he doesn't know what I'm thinking but he does, okay? Next, God is eternal or timeless. He is eternal or timeless. He never had a beginning, and he will never have an end. That one's hard for me to get. I can believe all these other ones, and I mean, I believe this too. Don't guess. That's, I can't believe I said that. But anyway, I believe all of these, okay? That one's hard for me to comprehend. A lot of things are difficult, but that he never had a beginning, or everything we know in life has a beginning and an end. Everything, except God. And sometimes when I was a kid, I would, I, I would lay in bed at night, and I would try to think about what it was like with God never having a beginning. And I would try to think, how is that possible? He had to be created. He had to come from something, but he's always been. And then I start thinking about, well... Since I'm a Christian, I'm going to live forever. How's that possible? And even my mind, I still can't comprehend that. And there's some things we can't comprehend. We just have to believe it by faith. But he is timeless. He is eternal. Isaiah 57, 15, again, he is the one who lives forever would be the verse. Also, Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is your refuge, it says in Deuteronomy 33, 27. So he is eternal or timeless. Next, God is infinite, unlimited. He is not limited or confined by the universe he created. He is independent of finite or measurable things. 
even time and space, which we've already kind of looked at those. Next, God is unchangeable. He does not vary, which is James 1.17. He does not change. And it's interesting, I read this, and I kind of put it here that uh, explains this, James 1.17. It says, we cannot easily grasp the idea of such an unchanging God. But consider the man who walks east into a strong east wind. And when he turns around and walks west, he mistakenly says, the wind was on my face, but now it is on my back. There has actually been no change in the wind. It was his direction that changed. And this change brought him into a new relationship with the wind. God never changes. When he seems to be different, it might be because we have changed and in so doing have come into a different relationship with him. And I think that's interesting. When we're walking this and we're walking this strong wind, it was blowing, then we turn, now it's on our back. I was thinking about that the other day. I was walking my dog. I don't have a dog story, okay, but I was walking my dog. And I was walking in the wind, and it was cold. And then when I turned, it was at my back, and everything was different. The wind didn't change. I changed direction. And sometimes that's true with life. We see God differently, but God never changes. And then last, God is holy. God is holy. Habakkuk 1.13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Exodus 15.11. So we had Habakkuk 1.13, Exodus 15.11. Who is like you, majestic in holiness? God is free of imperfections. And in fact, we, we're going to look at this next week, but God cannot look upon sin. You go, how does he see us? The blood of Christ. And we'll look at that. That covers our sin next week. So why is this important to know these things about God? Because God wants us to know him, number one. He wants us to know him. And so in the, the thing of this, of us getting to know him, we know that he's a personal God, as it says in John 4, 24. But also we know that God is loving. And he so loved us, he sent his son to die for us. And he's loving. And he loved us and sent his son. And so we know he wants us to know him. But also, God wants us to follow him. And so he gives us his scripture so that we can know him. He also gives us the scripture about how to follow him. So he wants us to know him and he wants us to follow him. And sometimes he gives us the freedom to choose whether to serve him or sin. And there's a directive will of God, which is that he brings to pass whatever he wants to. He has his directive will. And then he has a permissive will, which is what he allows to take place. He allows us to choose to serve him or sin. And there could be consequences. But in all of this, he's sovereign over all of this. How is that possible? He's God. And so, somehow it all works together in there. We can't sometimes understand it. But he allows us this permissive will to follow him. And we do it because we know him. One of the things I think about, and I think about it is so many times when, when I was, let's just say, when I was coaching basketball. When I would talk to my team, if they did not know me, they would not follow me. When they knew me, they would follow me. Because they knew me. We had a relationship with my kids. When my kids know me, they will follow me. If they do not know me, they will not follow me. 
And I think about these characteristics with God that I wanted to put in my life. That when we got to know God, that number one, he was personal. Personal. I want to be a personal father. I want to be a personal husband. But for those that are going to lead me, I want to be a personal pastor. Y'all may not like that too much, but that's what I want to be. But also in that, I want to be a loving father. I want to be a loving husband. Unconditional loving. So that when I put these characteristics in place with my, let's say my children, and my, even my wife, but my, let's say my children, we're talking about a father relationship here, God. When I put these in place with my children, that I'm personal with them, I let them know who I am, I love them, and not only on top of that, that I forgive them, I show them mercy, I show them grace, I show them kindness, I show them all these things that God shows us, they'll follow. Now, God also disciplines those he loves. And so, I discipline my kids to show them I love them because God disciplines me because he loves me. And so with that, with God, I think about our relationships, even on this earth, and those that follow these leaders, whoever it may be, we usually know them. We will not follow anyone we don't know. And God gives us his word so we can know him, and he wants us to follow him. So next, we live in a world who seeks a God of their own making. We seek a God of our own making. We seek a God that we want, that we think. And so many times we do that because how could God do such and such? And we want God to be our own making. God is his own. He created us. And so we can't make God our our maker, but he tells us who he is in his word. Next is Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, possesses all the divine excellencies with the Father, that he was virgin-born, that he was God incarnate, and that the purpose of the incarnation was to reveal God, redeem men, and rule over God's kingdom, that our Lord Jesus Christ accomplished our redemption through the shedding of his blood and sacrificial death on the cross, and that his death was voluntary, vicarious, substitutionary, propitiary, and redemptive, that our justification is made sure by his literal physical resurrection from the dead, and that he is now ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he is now where he now mediates as our advocate and high priest. And so we go in here and go, <clears throat> who is this man, Jesus Christ? First, his identity was in the central is the central emphasis of his ministry. So now we're going to look. Jesus Christ is fully God. He is fully God. So where it says, who is Jesus Christ? Just put, he is fully God. John 1.1, John 1.14, Titus 2.13. Jesus is not man becoming God, but God incarnate coming into human flesh. We have to recognize that. And as creator God, Jesus Christ was preexistent with the Father. He is the eternal Son, coexistent and co-eternal with the Father. He was there from the very beginning. He is God. He is deity. Jesus claimed deity for himself. John 10.30, I and my Father are one. 
He claimed deity for himself. Matthew 26, 63 and 64, the high priest asked Jesus if he was the son of God. I am who you say I am. Next, Jesus Christ claimed the prerogatives and authority of God. He claimed the authority of God in the prerogatives. Mark 2.10, he said he had the authority to forgive sins. Just as God has the authority to forgive sins, Jesus said, I have the authority to forgive sins. Mark 14.62, he said he would come in the clouds and sit at the right hand of God. Mark 14.62. John 6.39 and 40. Jesus said he had the authority and the power to raise the dead. He was God, okay? Next, Jesus possessed God's attributes. And I'm just going to read these off for you. He possessed God's attributes. And there's a lot of scriptures of these, but I'm not going to give you all the scriptures. But he claimed omnipotence. He had the power over nature. We saw that in, when, in the Gospels. He has the power over physical disease. Again, we saw that in the Gospels. He had the power over the demons. We saw that in the Gospels. Power over death. Saw that in the Gospels. He was omniscient, all-knowing. He knew what these people needed and what they were going to say even before they did it. Just like with Judas. He said, go ahead. The day is the hour has come. And I'm paraphrasing that. Betray me. He knew what Judas was going to do. And then he was also omnipresent. He was everywhere. He promised to be with them, all the disciples, as we've seen, even till the end of the age, as we went through the the commission of the church in Matthew 28. Next, Jesus was fully man. We know he was God. He was also fully man. Not only was he fully God, but he was also fully man, fully human. Hebrews 2, 16 and 18, 16 through 18, I'm sorry. Hebrews 2, 16 through 18. He has gone through our human experiences. He is fully able to understand and sympathize with us. That's what it speaks of in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. Not only that, but Matthew 1, 18. Through his conception was supernatural. Jesus' birth was that of just a normal child, just as you were born. So even though it was supernaturally conceived... He was born just like you and I or your children might have been. In John 1.14, though the virgin birth, he became, the word became flesh. Not only was he man, but Jesus was a perfect man. He was a perfect man. John 8.46, John 8.46. He was without sin in thought, word, and deed. John 4.34, he was totally, totally obedient to the Father. And you think about that in and of itself. We have never met someone who was totally obedient to anything. But Jesus was totally obedient to the Father. We know disobedience is sin. So he was never disobedient, but he was totally obedient to the Father. He was a perfect man. Next, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Not only did Jesus Christ live and die, but the triumphant dynamic of Christianity is that he rose from the dead. Mark 8, 31, and also Mark 10, 32 through 34, Jesus predicted his death and resurrection. He predicted it was going to happen. And so 
We know that. And then we know in Luke 24, 39 and John 20, 27 that he had a bodily resurrection. It just wasn't a spirit revelation or resurrection, but it was a bodily resurrection. They actually saw him after he resurrected. And that's what is so important about the resurrection. We think about the resurrection and God and all of his wisdom that he he had Christ rise. You think about this. If the disciples, if Mary and the other women would have come to the tomb and the tomb would have been empty. But they never saw Christ bodily. Would they really truly have believed? Probably not. There would have been so many questions. Okay. But then for them not only to see him, but he would have been with them for about 40 days. They got to know him, talk to him, see him, touch him in a bodily resurrection so that their faith would be secure. That they would know without a shadow of a doubt that was him. And here's what's interesting. He was in his bodily resurrection and they recognized him. So here's what that does for me. Is that, I'm sorry, but when we're in heaven, you're going to recognize me. And I'm going to, you're going to laugh at all my jokes because they're going to be funny then, okay? But we'll recognize each other. We'll know each other. And that's going to be, that is going to be cool. Next, Jesus is our high priest or advocate. Jesus is our high priest or advocate. Hebrews 9.24 and 1 Timothy 2.5. He appears for us in God's presence. Again, one of the things why he's our high priest is because his blood covers our sins. God cannot look upon sin, but Christ's blood covers our sins. So when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Christ, who's covered our sin, and also through that, he goes to the Father on our behalf. And when you think about this, who better to represent us than Jesus Christ, the Son of God? And he goes and represents us before the Father. That's what happens here. He's our high priest or advocate. 1 John 2, 1, he speaks to the Father in our defense. We know in John 14, he's preparing a place for us. He will come again to get us. And then in Hebrews 4, 16, we know that we can approach the throne of God with confidence. And this is made possible because of Jesus Christ. And as I think about that, and I think about you think about in the Old Testament times, You had to go to the high priest. The high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies. And they had to do it on a certain day to go before God. And now we can go anytime. And he never turns us away. And we can go to the Father at any time because of Jesus Christ. Because of his shed blood. So why is this important? If Jesus had not been fully God, he could not be our Savior. He couldn't have saved us from sin. On the other hand, if he were God and yet did nothing on our behalf, like go to the cross, he could not be our Savior. Acts 4.12 says, because the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And there are so many things you're going to hear about. There's so many different belief systems about how to get to heaven. But there's only one way, and that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In placing your faith in that, confessing him as Lord, confessing your sin and asking him to save you. And then because of Jesus Christ and through him, we get to see who God is. That's what I love. 
That's what I love, that we get to see God. We get to know who God is through Jesus Christ. And now next is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, equal with God the Father and God the Son, and of the, and of the same nature. And he was active in the creation, that in his relation to the unbelieving world, he restrains the evil one until God's purpose is fulfilled. That he convicts of sin, the judgment, and of righteousness. And he bears witness to the truth of the gospel in preaching and testimony. That he is the agent in the new birth. And that he seals, endures, guides, teaches, witnesses, sanctifies, and helps the believer. Of the three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is the hardest to understand. And so many times there's so many things that are out there about the Holy Spirit that is not true, that is spoken of here. And so one of the things we have to realize is that the Holy Spirit, as it's in your paper here, is deity. The Holy Spirit is deity. Hebrews 9.14 says he is eternal. Psalm 139.7, no, don't put he, that's not where the he's go, one. I'll get to that in a minute. I messed up on the Holy Spirit. I said it's the most confusing, and on the paper, I made it even more confusing, okay? So just so you know. I'll tell you when to write one and stuff like that. But this is helping you understand that he is deity. He is eternal in Hebrews 9. He is omnipresent in Psalm 139.7. He is the truth, the spirit of truth in John 16.13. So we know that the Holy Spirit is deity. In the beginning with Genesis, we, talks about the spirit came upon the face of the earth in creation. That was the Holy Spirit. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? Now, here's your one. Now, here's where I messed up. So what I want you, if I just want everybody to raise your right hand. Hang on. i got to get my eyes focused here. Everybody got them up? Right hands. Right hands. Okay, you got them? Everybody got them? Right hands? Okay. Keep it up. I promise not to share anything, what I'm getting ready to hear. Okay, thank you. I messed up when I sent this Teresa, so do not let her know that I sent her the wrong stuff. But that one through five and the one through three at the bottom, that should be one through eight. About the Holy Spirit. He is, he is. Do y'all see under that the fruit of the Spirit needs to be evident in our lives? I'm not very good on the computer, so I was kind of sending this stuff to her, and I was copying and pasting. And I pasted this something right in the middle of that one through eight. So five and then one through three, she didn't understand. And she said, so y'all promise. So she finds out, whoever I found out told her, we're going to do this coming to the principal's office, mine, and you're going to be suspended for a period of time from coming on Wednesday nights. You understand? So please do not let her know because she scares me and I'll be in trouble. Anyway, don't tell her I said that either. Oh, everybody raise your right hand again. <laughs> okay, here's the eight. Five and the three at the bottom. The Holy Spirit, he is the executor of the purposes and plans of the Godhead. That's a lot. But he is the executor of the purposes and plans of the Godhead. So he's the one that executes the plans of God. Now that Christ is gone, he sent the comforter the Holy Spirit, and he executes the plan of God, okay, on this earth. 
in our lives and in on this earth. He is the one who carries out God's purposes. He is the one who carries out God's purposes. Not only is he executing the plan, he's carrying out God's purposes, which would be like creation, conviction, regeneration or salvation, enlightenment. Like when we look in God's word and all of a sudden we're just going, aha. We have these moments that we look into God's word and God's word comes alive and we understand it. That'd be enlightenment. Sanctification, cleansing us and making us holy to be like him, setting us apart. And then glorification one day when we're in heaven, when our salvation is complete. The Holy Spirit is working all of that inside of us. He's carrying out God's purpose. He also, he is the direct work of God. He is the direct work of God and vitally affects each of his individuals. So he affects each of us as individuals. The Holy Spirit affects us. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and saves us, and then it affects us. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the power to do things. He's the one, I mean, I'm not talking about some supernatural thing. I'm talking about just the power to even share with somebody about the gospel, the power to stand up and teach, the power to understand. The Holy Spirit does all of that. Also, the Holy Spirit, he convicts of guilt in regard to sin. John 16, 8, he convicts of guilt in regard to sin. He is the one that brings conviction of sin to our life. I love the Holy Spirit, except for that. Because he brings it up to me a lot, okay? And I mean, it's all of us. But the Holy Spirit inside of us convicts us of our sin. Which I appreciate because then it allows me to know where I've gone wrong. And so many times, what we try to do is we try to suppress that conviction of sin. And the Holy Spirit convicts us that I know I need to change. I know I need to do something different. I know I shouldn't do that. It's like I was talking to a kid this week, teenager. And he was out, and he was out running around town and stuff like that, and he's a teenager. He forgot to take money with him, cash. That's all he kind of carries. That's all his parents would give him. And he was hungry. So he went into a store, and he's hungry. He goes, Jeff, I'm starving to death. And he goes, Pastor Jeff, I got these chips, and I got a candy bar, and I got a drink. And then I realized I didn't have any money. And he goes, so I thought, I'll just steal it. Now, this young man just was saved in my office not too long ago. And then he goes, then I went, I'm not supposed to steal. He goes, but I'm starving. You know, it's kind of like that old... Uh, it was an old show, and I can't remember the guy's name, but he had, like, one thing on this shoulder and one thing on that, like the devil. I can't remember. He was like an Air Force pilot or something like that. Anyway, it was something like that, and that's what was going on. Take it. You're starving. You're going to die over here. You're not supposed to steal. That's a sin, and it was the Holy Spirit convicting him, and the same is true in our lives. So many times in mine where it happens is that sometimes it's in a relationship things. I'll do something, and the Holy Spirit's going, how many times have I told you this, Jeff? That's not the way you do it. And it happens sometimes when I'm dealing with my kids, when I'm having a relationship with my wife, when I'm having a relationship with my mom, when I'm having a relationship with somebody else. 
It happened a lot when I was coaching basketball. Had a lot of people ask, you're a pastor? And I'm going, and you have an issue with it? Because I can take you behind the gym right now, just the way I feel. But uh, it was some of those things. I had a referee ask me one time, he goes, do you scream like that when you preach? And the other referee goes, I've watched him on television, he doesn't. And I went, well, I'm going to scream at you next time. But anyway, it's one of those things. But then the Holy Spirit would go, why did I do that? And so the Holy Spirit does convict us. Also, the Holy Spirit, he convicts of righteousness. He convicts of righteousness. He reveals to us what the holiness of God desires for us. So the Holy Spirit also reveals righteousness or convicts of righteousness in that we get to know in our spirit that goes, I want to be like this. See, that happens in my life, so I'll do something. He convicts me of sin. Then he also convicts me of righteousness. That I go, I want to be this. And so many times, how do I know what this is? God's word. And the Holy Spirit enlightens me to go, that's what I need to be. That's the kind of husband I need to be. That's the kind of father I need to be. That's the kind of shepherd I need to be, etc. Next, he convicts of judgment to come. He convicts of judgment to come. We understand the prospect of judgment and that it took Jesus Christ taking the judgment upon himself on the cross. And he convinces us that the deliverance is available, and that is through the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit sometimes tells us, convicts us of the judgment that's to come, hell. And that the only way to not go to hell is to place your faith in the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. Here's what I do love is the next one, the Holy Spirit. He seals us. He seals us. This is in Ephesians 1.13. We have a certainty and assurance of salvation because we are sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. The seal is a symbol of a finished transaction of ownership and of security. When they talk about the seal, it talks about here in the scriptures, you got to think about a king. And the king had a ring and he would put it down and it would seal the transaction. It's done. It's going to happen, period. It's over. And the Holy Spirit seals us, our salvation, till we die or the Lord comes back. And then we're, we're, the seal is, in a sense, open and we're in heaven. We don't have to be sealed anymore. We're in his presence. But the Holy Spirit is what seals us. And if we did not have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we would not be sealed. And then you could lose your salvation. But the only, you'd never lose it because he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you can't take me out of the Father's hand. But the Holy Spirit seals us. Acts 10, 47, it says, can we keep these from being baptized to have received the Holy Spirit just as we? We get the Holy Spirit at salvation and that's when it seals us, which I am grateful for that. The last one, you should be on three at the very bottom. The Holy Spirit, he fills us. Ephesians 5.18 talks about being filled by the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. This filling of the Spirit implies being given power and boldness for God's service, for strength to meet particular crises, or for everyday spirit-led living. It literally means in Ephesians 5.18 to keep on being filled. We keep on living who we are in Christ. 
So it's a continual. We're filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is inside of us. But we live it. And we're going to look at that in just a moment in another passage. But we live it out in our lives each and every day. And don't let the things of this world come and fill you, but let the Spirit of God fill you and the Holy Spirit live out in your life. So why is this important? As it's on your sheet here. Our inner thoughts, our inner thoughts and motives, our inner thoughts and motives are guided when we are filled with the Spirit. Our inner thoughts and motives are guided when we are filled with with the Spirit. So when we are filled with the Spirit, our inner thoughts and our motives are being led by the Spirit, and it is directing us on how we should live and the things we should do, whether it be a conviction to righteousness or a conviction of sin. And then last, as we talk here, we look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23 as the fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit does its work and of the producing of this Spirit in us, we find that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are ours if we submit to the will of God and the Holy Spirit in our life. And when we submit to the Holy Spirit, these are the things that will come out in Galatians 5, 22, and 23. Those are the things that should be produced in our life. When we're being led by the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God, it says the fruit of the Spirit. This is the outpouring of our life. We will be these things when we're being led by the Spirit of God. Is it hard? You bet. And here's the thing that Satan wants to discourage us. Satan wants us not to live out this. He cannot take the Spirit from us. He cannot unsave us. He cannot possess us. There cannot be light and darkness in the same being. But here's the thing. He can have some influence on us to cause us not to walk in the Spirit. Not to want to feed the Spirit, if you want to say, through God's Word. And when we do not have God's Word in our life, that's what feeds the Spirit. That's what guides us because our Holy Spirit enlightens us into understanding and knowing God's Word. And then we live it out. And these things become the proof of that. You know, and it's interesting that I pray that in my life, that when I meet people and I talk with them, they sense that something's different. And what that difference is, is number one, not only that I have the Holy Spirit in my life, that I'm a believer, because they may be a believer too, but I'm so being led by the Spirit of God that these qualities in Ephesians 5 or Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are coming out in my life. That they see this in my life. It's hard. It's hard because we deal with people who maybe don't deserve these things. But it, they still come out in our lives. And in my life, I have to be very careful because I know a lot of people from all the things I've done all these years here but also being on television and things like that. I'll be in the store, and people go, hey, are you on television? And I always say no, because that means I've usually done something that they think I shouldn't have done. So I just say no, but I have a brother, and sometimes he is, and so you might be thinking of him. I really don't say that, but people are watching. And when we're being led by the Spirit, what it does is it draws them to the Father. We can be an instrument of God's grace when we live these things out and we let the Spirit of God 
lead us in our life. And we look to him to convict us of sin and convict us of righteousness. And there's only one Holy Spirit. You don't get it after you've been saved. The Spirit comes on you and you're saved. And you have it. And you have everything you need for this world. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for the time that we can open. I thank you that you can open our eyes. Lord, as we looked at who you are tonight, God, we just touched on it. And I pray that we would go back and look at these passages and, Lord, really study who you are. And, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us of where we need to change, Lord, of how we need to live. And, Lord, that we would be a picture of who you are to this world. And, Lord, as we we looked at Jesus and we know that he was a picture of who you are, we got a chance to see who you are through Christ. I pray, Lord, that in our lives, people can get just a glimpse of who you are through us, that we are so different. Lord, I pray that my children can get a glimpse of who you are as their heavenly father by the way I treat and love them. I pray that my wife can get a glimpse of who Christ is through me. And Lord, I pray that as we live these things out, that people can get a glimpse of who you are by the way we live our life. Lord, thank you for the time we had tonight. Be this as we go our separate ways. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. You are dismissed.